now in the Easter season, as Pastor Drew mentioned, and we are going to be in Easter for seven weeks. Uh, Lent is roughly four weeks, and Easter is seven weeks. And the idea is that we want to revel in the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ for much longer than we did the, the Lent the Lenten season leading up to his passion, man. You know, being a Christian should be joyful. It should be a joyous thing. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about hope. But we're also going to talk a good deal about grief. And when I talk about grief, I'm going to talk about grief in the positive sense, as it is a very needed needed and helpful uh, process that we go through to deal with loss and, and disappointment. But I'm also going to talk about grief in a negative sense. And, um, and when I talk about grief in a negative sense, um, I'm talking about grief that we refuse to give up. Okay, I'm talking about grief that has outlasted its season of productivity. Right? I'm talking about grief that has actually left the realm of being something that makes us healthier and helps us to get through and get over and has now entered the realm of despair or the realm of, of the complete loss or absence of hope. Okay, so when you hear me talk about grief in the negative sense, I'm really talking about like despair. Okay, so I just want to give us a heading for where we're going this morning. And the main idea of the message is this, that hope demands that we release despair. Okay, to grab hold of hope, we have to let go of despair. Amen. We're coming from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. I'm going to read it. And then we're going to pray together, and then we'll jump in. You can read along with me here on the screen or in your devices and Bibles. Beginning in verse 19, it says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. And believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, brothers and sisters. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be with my brothers and sisters here this morning. 
Lord, I thank you for the blessing it is to sing songs of worship and praise to you. I thank you for how singing helps these truths travel from our hearts and travel from our minds, travel from our lips down to our hearts. Lord, I thank you, Father, for how just singing unto you just seems to to make us so much more aware of your presence with us in a very special way. And, And Lord, even as you've made yourself known, I pray that you would continue to be present with us in that very special way. Lord, as I endeavor to to preach your word, I pray that you would grant me that I would preach with clarity, with conviction. And Holy Spirit, you would cause your word to accomplish in every heart and mind present here exactly what you've sent your word to accomplish, that it shall not return unto you void. That, Lord, you would increase in us faith that even as the apostle said was the reason for his writing that we might believe. And that, oh, Lord, by believing we will have life, that we would have life in abundance, that, Lord God, that we would have life filled with hope, that we would have life filled with joy in his name. We give you the honor and the glory and the praise. Thank you even now for doing as we've asked. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And so, brothers and sisters, this morning, the gospel writer and apostle John, the person who wrote this book, he tells us that the disciples were together on the first day of the week, and this is uh, a day after Jesus' resurrection. And, And John tells us that wherever they were, later on we find that it was a house, but wherever they were, uh, the doors of that place was locked for fear of the Jews. Likely, they were afraid of those Jews who had themselves endorsed the killing of our Lord Jesus Christ because it was likely that these Jews were also looking for Jesus' friends and followers to do the same thing to them. Well, with these doors being locked, with it being a situation where no one could come in somehow, some way, the Lord Jesus Christ enters into this room. And the Bible tells us that he enters into this room and he stands right in the middle of it. And he shows his disciples his hands and his side so that they know that this is indeed their their Savior, their Lord, their Master, their friend who has just died from them, who died for them, and they recognize Him and they're overjoyed. And then Jesus breathes on them, telling them to receive the Holy Spirit, and then He gives them the charge of the church, the the missional charge of the church. He tells them that if they forgive anybody their sins, then they're forgiven. But if they hold forgiveness back from anybody, then they're not forgiven. This is extremely mysterious what Jesus says right here. And it's not something we'll go into very deep, but it is important that what Jesus tells them is essentially that the work of the local church, the work of the institution that bears the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is incredibly important in the life of the believer. And this institution that the apostles are about to kind of be the foundation for, establish, 
it has something to do with our relationship with God, the forgiveness of our sins and not being forgiven. So that, here's the question, brothers and sisters, how in the world are we relating to God apart from his church? That's all I'll say about that this morning. But now, enter later, enter Thomas. Or as we've come to know Thomas, Doubting Thomas. And Thomas gets his name from what happens next. You see, Thomas wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came into the locked room and stood among the disciples. And so the disciples go to Thomas and they tell Thomas the joyful news. They tell him that they'd seen the resurrected Lord. But Thomas, unmoved by the news, he tells them in no uncertain terms, he says that he will not in any wise ever believe that this news is true unless he is able, and I like the way the, 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 the original language puts it, unless he is able to thrust his finger into those nail marks in his hand, and as, unless he's able to thrust his hand into Jesus' side, he says he is not going to believe, no matter what they or anyone else says. Now, I want to stop here for a second and talk about Thomas's nickname. Because for many, many years in the church's history, Thomas has been known as Doubting Thomas. And I'm going to submit to you that Thomas does indeed doubt in this scene, in this story. But get this, Doubting is not the nickname that the Bible gives Thomas. You see, John tells us that Thomas was called what? Didymus, which means twin. And it's believed that Thomas was called twin not because he had a literal brother or sister who was born at the same time that he was, but he was called twin because people often thought that he looked just like or acted just like Jesus himself. It's believed that it was Jesus' little nickname for him, like my little twin. Isn't that interesting? Jesus called him twin, yet we call him doubting. Of course, brothers and sisters, this just shows what we already know about ourselves, that, that we are so prone to define people by what they do wrong. I'm going to say it again. We are so prone to define people by what they do wrong. But Jesus clearly isn't with that kind of stuff. Also, I think we've called Thomas Doubting Thomas because historically we've looked at this story through too narrow of a lens. You see, often when we talk about the Bible, when we come to the Bible, we don't ask ourselves the most obvious questions about the stories, and so we tend to miss some of the less obvious facts or facets of the story. Like, here's a very obvious question we should ask ourselves. Why was Thomas the only disciple not with the others when Jesus came and appeared to him? Why was Thomas the only one not there? Well, it's because in Jewish custom, brothers and sisters, Whenever someone close to you died, the Jews had a ritual or a custom of grieving, loss. Anybody know what this is called? Sitting Shiva. 
try and say that five times fast. And I'm sh- I promise you, you will say other, you will say other words. But they had a process called sitting Shiva. And what would happen is the family members and the close friends would spend about seven days together in a room mourning the death of this loved one together. And it's believed that Thomas wasn't with them because Thomas, instead of being in the locked room afraid of the Jews, Thomas was sitting Shiva, mourning his master and his friend. And as an aside, I just want to say to us, brothers and sisters, that I think that we could benefit from revisiting some of these rituals like sitting Shiva today. In America and in the West, where we've become so individualized, we're so far removed from cultures and communities that normalize experiencing very common things like loss and disappointment. So that whenever we experience loss, which we all do, or when we experience disappointment, we either just fall to pieces or we stuff it. Both of them being equally unhealthy. The Jews, like a lot of other cultures around the world, they normalize grief. And they institute standardized practices of grieving so that when someone in the community experiences loss, everybody knows exactly what to do to support each other and to make sure that they come out on the other side of grief, a healthier version of themselves. I think about, this is not a part of the notes, but I just want to share, I think about this, this, this man who lost his job and then went and shot up the bank where he was fired. What if this guy, what, what if he was a part of a community that once he lost his job, the community just said, oh, Ted lost his job, let's, let's call a meeting. Ted lost his job. Let's, start, let's round up. Let's round Ted up. And let's talk some sense. To, let, let's grieve with Ted. I don't know why I thought his name was Ted, but let's just grieve with Ted. Let's let Ted know that he is not, wor- he is not only worth the work he does. Let's let Ted know that he is loved far beyond this job and this paycheck. Let's put our money behind Ted and whatever wages he's lost. Let's support him. I bet, just this is just an assumption that maybe Ted would have thought twice. But because of the society we live in that tells you it's every man for himself, Ted must have looked in the mirror and said, I ain't got nothing. Friends, what if we normalized grief and we supported each other in grief? Well, all said, it's likely that Thomas wasn't with the other disciples because he was sitting shiva like, we, like he said. Thomas was going through the helpful and needful process of grief. And I just want to say, brothers and sisters, please make room for your grief. Please make room for your grief. Grief is the necessary and very helpful and healthy process of moving through and moving beyond loss and disappointment. And I just want to say as another aside, brothers and sisters, that grief is not one in the same with depression, okay? Um, depression is a condition that is often mediated by circumstances outside of control. And, um, and reality is, whether you're grieving or just feeling depressed, please, please, please seek out community. 
please, if you don't know anyone else to call, call me and Pastor Drew. We're not the most skilled people in the world, but we can sit with you. We can love you. We'll point you in a direction. If you're struggling, please reach out and seek help. Do not allow the devil or yourself or anyone else to tell you that your struggle is not important. It is. You mean a lot to us. But looking back at the story, this is the point in the story where Thomas goes wrong. You see, Thomas had been grieving, as he should, but when the disciples brought him news of hope and joy, Thomas refused to let go of his grief. And so when they tell him that they'd seen the risen Lord, Thomas tells them that he's not going to believe them. And the original language is emphatic. He says, I'm never going to believe that unless he sees and touches Jesus for himself. And what I think Thomas was really saying, brothers and sisters, is I am not going to give up this grief for something so crazy as the hope you're trying to sell me. And I think that Thomas was wrestling with something that you and I often deal with, if we're honest with ourselves. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we'd rather hold on to grief or skepticism or cynicism, because if we're honest, these don't let us down. You see, if I expect the worst... And if I believe that the worst is coming, then whatever happens is exactly what I thought would happen or something better. So it's a win-win. I remember some years ago, I was a freshman in college, and um, I don't know if you guys experienced this, but parts of life that used to seem really close, you think about them realize how far back they are, like being a freshman in college. But I remember when I was a freshman in college, I had a mentor and friend. He had been a mentor and a, a kind of disciple me since high school. And, and he had gave, he'd given me some advice that in my mind had gone kind of bad. And I, I, just, I, was, I was really upset because things didn't go the way I wanted to after acting on what I believed was his, was his advice. And so I just kind of cut him off. I stopped calling him, stopped checking in with him. And he, he, uh, he, he called me one day and I answered the phone. And I kind of remember where I was. I, was just, I just pulled into coming home from college. And, you know, he said, hey, I hadn't heard from you, Leon. What's going on? And something just kind of came over me to be very, just brutally honest with him. And I was like, man, I just didn't want to talk to you no more because you gave me this advice. And, and it didn't go the way I wanted. And I just felt like, you know, it's just best if I just don't talk to you, you know. And I remember what he said. And he's just one of those people that's wise, just really wise. And he said, you know, Leon, I really want to apologize to you. He said, but I'm finding it difficult because um, listening to you, I realized that you just, you just want to be angry. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, here I am thinking about you and concerned for you and calling you and stuff, and you're literally avoiding an opportunity for us to work through this because you just want to be mad at me. And when he said that, I was like, man, <laughs> he's right. I just wanted to hold on to being angry with him, even to the detriment of my relationship, because as long as I blamed him, as long as I held on to this anger, then I never had to deal with him letting me down again. Of course, it turned out that what he said is not at all what I heard and, you know, we were able to work through it. But sometimes, brothers and sisters, we will hold on to that thing 
Because at least we know that that thing won't let us down. But friends, here's the thing. We cannot grab on to hope. We cannot grab on to joy. So long as we are determined to maintain a grip on grief or anger or disappointment or whatever that thing is that we're finding that strange kind of comfort in. We got to let it go. I want to quote, uh, reiterate the quote that, that, uh, that Pastor Drew used last week from Esau Macaulay, because I thought it was so good. Esau, a canon theologian in our diocese, he says, he says, hope is a demanding emotion that insists on changing you. Hope pulls you out of yourself and into the world, forcing you to believe that more is possible. Brothers and sisters, hope is active. Hope is choosing willfully to believe that better is on the horizon, even though you can't see it from the context of the mess you're sitting in. And friends, can I tell you something? Something better is on the horizon. Because Jesus is alive. And get this, Jesus is for you. Something better is on the horizon because Jesus has overcome and Jesus in his resurrection power is for you. You can hope because Jesus got out the grave. It doesn't matter how bad it is right now. Jesus has overcome. The Bible tells us that eight days later, Jesus comes to John in his mercy and kindness. He comes to John and he shows, his, shows him his wounds and he bolsters his faith. Thomas cries out. Excuse me, he comes to Thomas, excuse me. And Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God and brothers and sisters, this is such an awesome thing. Thomas didn't have to go looking for Jesus. Jesus came to Thomas and he met him right in the midst of his despair. Right in the midst of the grief that he refused to let go of. But here's the question I had about this whole thing. It's great that Jesus comes to Thomas and I want to suggest and I'm going to say Jesus will come to us. But here's the question I had. Why eight days later, Jesus? Why didn't you just come right then? Why eight days later? Why didn't you come right when he was having his crisis of faith? Right when he was making the bold claim that I'm never going to believe. Why did you let him wallow in this lack of unbelief? This, I mean, this, this unbelief, this lack of faith for eight days, Jesus. Well, I thought about this question and I looked at my own life. And I looked at the testimony of Scripture and the answer hit me, brothers and sisters. Jesus came eight days later because Jesus doesn't always come when we want Him, but He always comes right on time. Friends, if you're here this morning, you're wondering how much longer. If you're here this morning, you're asking, when will Jesus come through? When will he come to you in the midst of your despair like he does for Thomas? Friends, I have a very, very profound answer for you. I don't know. I don't know. I cannot promise you 
that it won't get a little harder. I cannot promise you that it won't get a little darker. But I can promise you one thing, brothers and sisters. That though the night be dark, it can't always be night. Day must come and the light must shine and Jesus will do exactly what you need him to do. As the old prophet King David said in Psalm chapter 37 and verse 25, he says, I once was young and now I'm old, yet never, yet never have I seen the righteous forsaken or their children breaking bread, uh, needing bread. Don't give up hope, brothers and sisters. Don't give up hope. Believing may be difficult in this season of your life, and I may not be speaking to everybody here this morning. But if it ain't, if it ain't hard for you right now, trust me, a season is coming when believing is going to be difficult. That's life. Believing may be difficult in this season. Faith may not be the easiest thing to come by, but listen to me. With everything I have, hear me when I say, hold on to whatever little bit of hope you have, a little bit of faith you have. Hold on to whatever piece of faith you can muster this morning because get this, it's not about the perfection of the faith we have that matters. It's the perfection of the one in whom we have faith. Hold on to your faith. Jesus is coming. Just hold on. Don't give up on life. Don't give up on hope. Don't give up on love. Jesus is coming. And friends, I wanted to leave you with three, three very practical things that we can do to be more hopeful people. Very practical things. And the first thing I want to say to you is this. Regularly tell yourself the story of hope. Friends, the blessing of having the written word is this. The story of hope is always there when we need to be reminded. Return to the scripture. Tell yourself the story of hope. Tell yourself that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Tell yourself that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Tell yourself that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Tell yourself the story of hope. The second thing, brothers and sisters, is this. Limit your intake of despair. Read the Bible more than you do social media and the news. Limit your intake of despair. And the last thing is this. Surround yourself with hopeful people. Friends, surround yourself with people grasping onto the hope of Jesus. 
this past week uh, had a discipleship group and uh, it was just three of us Dewey's in my group or I'm in Dewey's group however you want to think about it and uh, we just prayed in my little sunroom and uh, it was one of the m- more encouraging little moments of life in the past few weeks just praying with the, with the brothers three people together just holding on to the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ surround yourself with people who are holding on I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying drop your friends. I'm not saying drop your, your Eeyore friends. You know, we all got them. Sometimes we are them. I can admit that. But sometimes you got to tell your Eeyore, hey, I can't do it right now. I got to get around some tiggers. Sometimes you got to get around some tiggers. Find you some hopeful friends. Amen. In a moment, Pastor Drew is going to come and lead us in communion. And this is our opportunity to actually revisit the hope that is ours through the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in Easter. And friend, if you're here this morning, you're saying, I'm new to this church thing. I'm not exactly sure of this hope that um, you're speaking of. Here is the hope that we have. And this is something you this is something, you know, full well. The world is messed up and life is messed up. What God has done is he sent his son to come down. His son died, taking on the full weight of the brokenness of this world on himself. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave. And in that resurrection, what we're celebrating in this Easter is showing that he has overcome all the brokenness in this world. And if we would just put our faith in him, what he's done for us, we too will experience a resurrection to an overcoming of all that is broken in this world. What's even better is we get to begin to experience that even right now in this life. And so if you're here this morning, you're saying, I want some of that hope. I just want you to know this is the hope we're talking about clinging to and this hope can be yours all by just believing. Nothing you can do, nothing you have to give God except just believe it. When we do communion, what we're doing actually is just revisiting this hope. We're taking of his body. We're taking of hope. We're taking of his blood. We're taking of hope. So if you're here this morning and you're brand new and you're saying, hey, I I want that. Man, I believe. If this is your first time, I want you to take of this hope with us this morning. If you're still not sure, you don't know, please talk to me or Pastor Drew. Talk to your neighbor about this Jesus thing. Neighbor, if you don't know, please show them to us. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. And God, my prayer is that you would preserve every person who you brought here this morning in your hope. Preserve our life. Preserve our faith. Preserve our joy. In Jesus' name. Amen.